1: Hello, this is Laura Stark. I'm associate professor at Vanderbilt University and associate editor of the journal History and Theory. I had the great pleasure of interviewing Rosalind Fredericks about her new book, Garbage Citizenship, Vital Infrastructures of Labor in Dakar, Senegal. The book was published in 2018 by Duke University Press. Fredericks is associate professor of geography and development studies at New York University. I had the great pleasure of interviewing Fredericks along with students in my seminar, History of Global Health. You can find a full list of the students who worked with me on this interview on the website for this episode. I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for making the time to, um, to talk with us. And we really enjoyed Garbage Citizenship. The book is um, looking at infrastructure and especially garbage infrastructure of African, specifically urban environments through the case study of Dakar. And the things that you tell readers about Dakar that are important to know is that it's about uh, 3.5 million people. Um, Senegal itself is about 95% Muslim. So it's a, a vast Muslim majority. And that it was a former French colony that like many of the um, the northern, western African countries, uh, gained independence only in the 1960s. So, in 1960, in the case of Senegal, does is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then I've, I've often wondered why so much news reporting that I hear from the African continent is out of Dakar. And now this, I've learned so much about the the city itself from reading the book, um, which is that the country and also the city is um, often considered a real um, hub of democratic stability, which is why what makes your case so particularly fascinating, because it's something like a best case scenario, and we see the politics and the material politics that unfold so you I want to start off by talking a little bit about your research methods so you're an ethnographer, and you particularly are what you uh, what you refer to as a political ethnographer, and you're coming out of the field of um, of geography in. Uh, Specifically, and you did field work in Dakar in 2017, I'm sorry, 2007, 2008. So I wonder if you could just start us off in thinking about questions of infrastructure, materiality, um, and neoliberalism, which seems to be a key term for the book. Whether you could give us a sense of the garbage scapes, the landscapes, the garbage landscapes of Dakar, because so much of the book is about the The perceptual feeling of infrastructure. Absolutely. I mean, when
2: you get off a plane at the airport in Dakar, you're immediately struck by the smell that I have now come to sort of search for and love on some level, which is basically the smell of burning garbage. There are a myriad of a multiplicity, a million different practices of waste management that each and every person is practicing every day. This is a recycling economy, a reuse economy, um, much like many other economies in the global south. um, It is uh, an economy where people are um, sort of toiling and striving and um, managing their waste at every turn. Um, And part of that is about the sort of incapacity of the state to fully manage it. And part of it is about the, um, sort of need to extract, um, because of, um, you know, financial pressures, the value out of every possible commodity. Um, so, you know, I, I think, um, the, the first thing that's striking to a sort of visitor to Dakar sort of seeing the waste scape, it's just sort of how, um, visual, how, you know, um, um, visual it is, how much it kind of um, hits you in a olfactory sense right away uh, it's just very hard to avoid so the the sort of out of sight out of mind um, approach to to managing waste, which really dominates um in much of the world and certainly is a a goal in senegal um, is not really in in pragmatically kind of in practice there uh waste is everywhere, Um, not as I'm trying to explain in this book, because people are um, just careless and litterers or something, um, but because of this intense politics that revolves around waste management, but also just because of the sort of everydayness of ordinary waste management that everybody um, practices, especially women, young people, sort of people uh, who are more involved in managing household um duties and, and keeping the sort of domestic sphere clean. Um so it's hard to avoid and certainly in the last 10, 20 years of this sticky garbage politics um in in Dakar that I'm kind of charting and historicizing, it's been really at the forefront of your kind of urban experience, which is um worrisome to the state uh worrisome to you know those actors that would like to um you know make the polish the city into a more um modern looking modern smelling kind of sanitized urban sphere Um, but you know despite all that it it, it's there um so that's sort of a, a, a sort of beginning sense of what um the garbage scape sort of Looks like, smells like, Um, and certainly around the strike times, it is really at the forefront of the urban imaginary, the urban experience. Because as I described in the book, the the garbage really piles up and blocks traffic and kind of gets in everybody's way and is just screaming to be dealt with. Um, So there's pretty much no way to avoid it if you have to go to a market, have to drive down the street, you're going to kind of run into this friction, this, this sticky, messy um, garbage politics that continues to this day.
1: Yeah, one of the things that was so enlightening about the book is to be able to see waste as um, an intentional political practice when it's, when it's made and used in public settings. And also bringing back the fact that it's very, it's material that can be used and mobilized and enrolled um, for political purposes. One of the The key terms for the book is thinking through neoliberalism, and for a lot of people, the that big concept is 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 scary, or else it's um, it's something that folks feel like has lost some sort of traction. And what I really, what we all really liked about the book is that you're showing how neoliberalism takes multiple forms. So you're Helping us see that it indexes something um or or some things, and particular in this transition after or the the time period after um independence you you nicely um sort of capture a shift that otherwise could just be seen as as uh, very politically complicated, in which there was um sort of socialist efforts. Um, that got turned into a devolved individualized um, some would say neoliberalized ideas about who should be cleaning up the garbage and who, who should be doing the work of um, of civic care and this revolves in part around the structural adjustment programs that seems like um, that seems to be an important part of um, senegal 's history around nineteen seventy nine into the eighties. I think you're right there, are um, at least 15, more than 15 loans from the IMF and the World Bank um, captured under structural adjustment. And this is really what points at um, neoliberalism for you. Could you explain a bit what that big turn was and what it looked like on the ground um, when there was a move from, or many moves in between public-private, municipal, state-centered, Approaches to infrastructure, um, private, whether it was domestic or international companies that were doing the work. Could you just talk us through what the turn towards neoliberalism looked like?
2: Sure. I mean, I think one of the key words, um, you know, that's helpful to think to think through sort of neoliberalism with Senegalese characteristics is is experimentation. I mean, that I I think that that um, incredible. Institutional instability um, that really just took on such a, an incredible range of forms um, really represents a kind of um, obviously the the outcome of, of internal struggles within different echelons of the state and different um, uh, politicians trying to sort of prove, you know, their, their legacy to their constituents, etc., but it really sort of, at a more you know basic level, just represents a kind of um, incessant ex- experimentation that I think the back, the you know sort of neoliberal political economic backdrop of structural adjustment and the austerity, um, all different kinds of austerity um, policies that it that it led to has unleashed. You know, it's just these different sort of government agencies and. The, the power you know, brokers within them, um, certain personalities emerge here, and the, the tension between the local and the national state is, of course, very important. Just experimenting, trying to um, battle through austerity, especially at the urban level, at the same time as modernizing in the image of what this um, aspiring global city, you know, wants to look like, wants to perform on a sort of global stage. So, you know, the the I think a, a, a quality of that, I mean, there's a real performative quality of that experimentation because it is outward looking. And that's what structural adjustment um, programs really enforced, you know, it was a kind of outward looking and externalization of the sort of priorities and the performance of urban management, civic care, uh, as you described it, um, to a kind of international community, um, to a a community, obviously, of international um, institutions and bankers like IMF and World Bank, but also to the sort of visiting community of um, tourists, which are now really important to the Senegalese economy now that um, sort of industry... Um, has been um, quashed, and some of the other more natural resource-based sectors like fishing and and mining um, have declined um, just because those ecologies have declined. Um, and so tourism is now um, the number one economic sector. Um, I think it, it 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 it's it's right behind, or sometimes ahead of remittances, which again is an outward-looking um, international diasporic connection. Um, So I think you have to think about austerity in this performance of kind of modernity through a sort of bourgeois environmentalism, um, you know, in in light of this kind of outward looking performance. Um, And I think that Asher Gertner's work on the aesthetics of rule is really important here of, of sort of um, aesthetics of what modernity or modern urban development is supposed to look like, um, and that toil or laboring bodies—the bodies, the bodies of, of, of of cleaning workers in the public space—is a really key piece of performing the modernity of the of the aspirational city. Um, so, I think, ah, you know, obviously, that gets into what my intervention is, which is really aimed at sort of injecting more of an attention to the bodies of infrastructure into our understanding of how urban infrastructures have been resculpted, reconfigured, experimented around in neoliberal economies in the wake of structural adjustment. Um, and uh, I think that was a bit of a sort of lacuna before the... Um, um, myself and some other people have, you know, have taken that up is thinking about the role of bodies in sort of enacting the politics of austerity, um, obviously, through the work of the state in flexibilizing labor, but then in the work of the social movements in resisting that flexibilization.
1: So, okay, yeah, great. Can you um, just give us a a quick idea of what do you mean when you talk about flexibilization of labor, which is coming out of um, structural adjustment?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, at its base, it's about um, obviously uh, rendering um, the the labor less valuable in the sense that uh, labor is uh, remunerated less than a sort of Um, then certainly the the image of the remuneration of um, labor for the city municipal labor in the kind of state developmentalist period of the nationalist era in Senegal, so sort of the 60s and the 70s, the kind of golden years of Senegalese development when the state employed a lot of people, um, did a, did a lot to, um, foster employment and, um, and steer the economy, um, and the way that that has radically shifted to, um, and that was premised on this vision of sort of full employment and um, the, you know, fully um, um, uh, experienced right, yeah, you know, labor rights um, of a kind of unionized um, labor force, especially at the municipal level level. Um, that was part and parcel of the socialist dream in in Senegal. And so that, that's radically reconfigured under structural adjustment and it's, its wake through these institutional reconfigurations, which basically were premised on devolving um, the logics of austerity onto labor, meaning downward pressure onto um, these laboring bodies to do more work with less pay, and importantly, more work with less uh, protections, so we're talking about workers who, at the height of um, you know the sort of austerity politics in the garbage sector, were not even provisioned equipment, so they're doing this work with their bare hands or not provisioned um, uh, um, 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 protective um, clothing, all of that. So there's the sort of flexibilization of the um, actual labor uh, the you know street labor. Um, but mostly it's about the ability to fire them. And that's what the um sort of grab of Set Setal by the mayor Mamadou Jope was all about in my formulation, was about firing the original trash workers who had been um unionized and protected and and difficult to 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 fire, um and replacing them with contract labor. That was seen to be easy to replace, and then of course it 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 wasn't easy to replace once they use, once they were able to unionize and use the power of garbage through trash strikes to um, sort of establish their legitimacy and power as a union. Um, so I, I think flexibilization works on all those different levels. Um, it also is a a sort of imaginary of uh, flexibility in the sense that it's about um, tapping. The labor of households, and so this is when we where, where we move into really um, sort of tapping the social reproductive labors of community members as a subsidy to uh, the realm of um, municipal labor as a subsidy to the realm of um, of state provision of welfare goods
1: it's really helpful and one of the things that you show really interestingly is how um, the, the social movement to uh, to rethink responsibility, who who or what should be responsible for the care of people, um, co-opting people as, who are part of a social movement to become contract workers, and in doing so, kind of quash the ability um, or, or the motivation to protest. And with that, hiring people as contract workers um as one of the strategies that was being used. You do such really interesting work on the the rhetoric of community in particular and really showing how that captures or does a lot of work in actually perpetuating tremendous um, – the very uh, – injustices that the state is supposed to be um, wanting to overcome. So I'm actually going to hand it over to Emma to follow up on the issue of community. So I'm hoping that um, you might be able to speak a little bit about the dynamic between um, empowerment and engagement when it comes to community-based initiatives. Particularly in reference to uh, YAF in the third chapter, but more broadly speaking, how do those tensions come to play when you're trying to initiate a community-based project?
0: Hmm.
1: Great. Um. I mean, this chapter
2: and you know the sort of wider intervention around YAF, um, and the sort of Incorporation of ordinary household members into, you know, as a part of the urban waste infrastructure, as a kind of, you know, key um, sort of buttress to the the municipal trash sector, um, was really uh, engaging with critical development studies ideas around um, that are critiquing um, ideas of empowerment and I- ideas of community in sort of mainstream development. Um, so that was actually the way that I uh, originally um, got into um, this, this project. Um, I did a, a, an earlier project on the politics of um, eco-sanitation stations in YAF for my master's um, in 2002 and was just intrigued by the fact that there was all this work that had been written, some of it published, kind of circulating on the Internet, you know, touting the key role of communities in doing environmental um, sustainability work, eco-sanitation work in the periphery of the city. And that when I actually went and talked to people, because I was excited about sort of um, glorifying these, you know, very positive case studies that I'd read about on the internet. When I went to go talk to people who'd been involved in those projects, they revealed to me that the projects were a resounding failure no longer existed, and that people felt that they had been really exploited through that. And so there was a real you know there was obviously a key contradiction there. and the the definition of community, the idea of community that was being sort of described um, in these kind of best practices by the NGOs, um, with compared that with the actual experience of community and the experience of solidarity or the opposite of that, the divisions that was introduced by these projects um, on the ground. And so then that led into this project um, in chapter three, where I'm really trying to kind of speak to especially the development studies literature and the development organizations out there that still often deploy a sort of uncritical definition of community and participation that is rooted in um, often, you know, or that silences the often sort of um, Exploitative relationships between, um, you know, different community members and the power relations that exist between them under the guise of community. So I think what is revealed there is that empowerment is a really slippery slope. And obviously, just the act of participating in a project doesn't automatically um, mean empowerment. It doesn't automatically lead to empowerment. Empowerment is a much deeper. Um, concept, but that needs to be thought of not just in relation to how people are invested in a project, or even in the case of the one that I was looking at, sort of enrolled, conscripted into a project, but more about how these projects then reshape social power dynamics, how they reshape the participants' relationships to their communities. and whether they become empowered vis-a-vis their communities and the power dynamics that they live with every day or not.
1: Yeah, and some of the um, the key uh, power differences and imbalances within community that were so um, unexpected from just reading an NGO literature, were especially looking at um, economic inequality. So Basically, um, people who are already in economically precarious positions being the ones called on and then sustained in that economic precarity by doing the sanitation work, and then also um, how tremendously gendered the concept of community is as in terms of the valences it has in the in the NGO literatures, at least, and, and especially striking was in. Um, In Senegal, seeing how municipal quote-unquote housekeeping um, in terms of gender was really playing out around ideas of responsibility for garbage. And on the issue of um, gender, Claudia is going to take it over from here. So as a part of your discussion in Chapter 3 about the YAF community project, um, you do talk about the role of gender. So could you tell us a bit about the role of women in community and how they are uniquely affected by garbage politics?
2: Sure. I mean, women really are at the forefront of garbage politics in general, just because they are seen culturally in Senegal as the primary waste managers, as those responsible um, for waste in the home, because they are responsible for the domestic they sort of you know are seen as as managers of the domestic space, um, and so the the way that that then interfaces with formal or these community based waste management projects is that um, these you know supposedly forward thinking progressive minded NGOs wanted to prioritize women's roles in new, supposedly progressive um, and empowering um, projects to improve waste management. And the I mean, first and foremost, this was seen as potentially benefiting women most because um, they were aimed at improving waste management in a neighborhood that, um, you know, had a lot of problems with waste management because it was very difficult for the trucks to access these communities. So it was seen as a potential benefit to women who were saddled with dealing with these uncollected wastes and obviously sort of disciplined and even criminalized um, because of the um, different tactics they had to resort to to get rid of their waste and keep their families safe, like dumping in the ocean and burying and um, dumping in nearby public spaces and ditches and stuff, their, their waste. Um, so bringing them into the project was seen as a way to sort of empower them to have a voice in the system um but what it, i revealed was that they weren't brought into the design of the project in fact they were only brought in in this neighborhood case um to an exploitative labor arrangement which was quite um stigmatizing because it literally sullied these women who were brought in as participants cuz they got dirty doing this work door to door with their bare hands, um, for free, basically, as as volunteers, sort of forced volunteers. Um, and they were sullied in a symbolic sense and in a kind of societal sense because they were stigmatized by becoming these municipal housekeepers. So that was an intensely gendered experience that then bled into the way that gender intersects with these other relationships, um, ethnicity, um, because uh the the women that were um you know conscripted into this work um were um you know of a, a, a specific ethnicity and so that the the projects were aimed at sort of performing a certain kind of um ethnic um, uh, you know authority um over over the other ethnic group present there the other um uh, sort of marginalized ethnic group there uh, but also in the sense of reorganizing the power da- or, or, or reconfiguring power dynamics between men and women and households because th- these projects re-sculpted the sort of budget, household budgets um, and uh, the bargaining power of women who um, were being enlisted in paying more for garbage and paying these new fees um, and then, of course, for the for the participants, for the women who were doing the garbage collection themselves, who were being enlisted as neighborhood workers with no benefits, so for them it was particularly stressful on their relationships to their partners, to their families, et cetera.
1: The book makes literal so many of the the metaphors that we often hear about in terms of um, sort of the symbolic value of people and. Especially with the, with um, this book dwelling on disposability, so disposability of what would just conventionally be considered waste, but then disposable lives, and what has worth and what has what has value, and who decides. Um, in addition to the the gender dimension of Senegal, one of the distinctive. Um, features of the, the space, the, the social and physical space also seems to be the fact that it's a vast um, Muslim majority uh, country and city. And so here I'm going to hand it over to Haley. Um, so chapter four really describes the Muslim religious connection between waste removal and the value of cleanliness. Um, so I was wondering if it was fair to say that religion is the most dominant form of motivation in garbage collection and why more people weren't interested in working in this sector if it's seen as such a high religious value?
2: Great question. I'm not sure I can say it's the most, um, but I think it is a powerful force shaping the meaning and value of all kinds of cleaning work, cleaning work in the home, um, acts of reuse and recycling at all scales and then certainly the municipal work of cleaning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that... So I, I think that the, the trash worker, the municipal trash workers union was particularly savvy at deploying this idea of um, cleaning as piety um, and a, a, a practice that brought... Uh, that they felt brought them closer to God Um, deploying that on a kind of public level. I think that is generally felt by waste workers, but is not widely recognized or was not widely recognized by the sort of general population. Um, I think the overpowering abjection that we associate with waste and waste work, um, it, you know, really sits in in, um, tension with the fact that cleanliness, cleaning, ablution, purity is so paramount in all religions, but certainly in Islam. Um, so I think that the, you know, there's a real tension there with the fact that um, cleaning is generally understood by sort of average Senegalese as important, but that they, 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 they didn't usually make the leap to say that means garbage collectors' work is valuable and important. Um, because of the stigma that comes with waste itself. So the waste dialectic is a complicated, the waste value dialectic is a complicated one that I think expresses itself in very different ways in different contexts. And there's a lot of really interesting work by fellow discardians. This is what waste, um, um, people who study waste call themselves or start are starting to call themselves. Um, So discardians sort of in context around the world are really trying to um, expose and unearth the waste value dialectic as it plays out in different contexts and so I think what I was trying to do in this particular political context was to show the tension between this kind of contradictory um, experience you know relationship between ideas of purity and 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 waste um, and value with the you know very strategic kind of mobilizing of the of the Union. And I do think that that is at the base of how they were able to sort of change public opinion and certainly to change state opinion about the value of waste work. But the battle has not been won. Um, I think waste waste workers are still stigmatized. I am now working on a sort of sequel to this book working with the informal um, trash uh, recyclers who work actually at the dump who are not municipal employees, but are um, informal recyclers, pickers, um, reclaimers, um, and they are particularly stigmatized. Um, So I think that progress has been made, but it hasn't been made so far um, as to, you know, inciting sort of everybody, you know, especially... um, um those who have other options to want to work in the garbage sector it certainly has incited more to consider it a respectable profession but there's a lot of work to be done and we've seen that um all across the world my colleague Robin Nagel has done an ethnography here in New York City of the uh waste uh collector you know the trash collectors here the department of sanitation in New York and finds very similar um stigmatization, abjection, despite the fact that the workers here are very well paid. Uh they are also unionized, very well protected. It is a good job. Um and yet they are incredibly stigmatized within uh the you know the, the, the sort of um people that they serve. Mm,
1: yeah. Picking up on your comment that the the battle has not been won, it seems to be um as you point out, a battle um not only about the issue of, of infrastructure, but of the promises of social justice on which so many um, sort of uh, post-colonial countries um, really hope and, and turn. And on this issue, Andrew wants to hop in.
0: Um, so you published this book just over a year ago in September of last year. And I was wondering, since that time, you mentioned about your sequel, but I was wondering about Dakar, what changes have you noticed in that time? And these can be material changes, ideological, political, um, anything you've seen since you've done your research and also including your new um, sequel of that is relevant.
2: And you're talking about in
0: the waste sector or? Uh, Mostly the waste sector, yes. But if there's other areas of Mm -hmm. socialized or institutionalized um, infrastructure, that would be interesting as well
1: mhm
2: well um it's that's a big question, but i do i mean this this these dynamics are absolutely ongoing in fact, the uh trash workers union um went on strike recently uh to protest um the the state's um lateness in paying them. I think they were a few months behind in payments um and so there were recently um and they are certainly not happy with uh, you know the the deal that they've gotten in terms of um, health care and salaries and it seems as though even though the city balloons gets bigger and bigger every year and the waste challenge gets bigger and bigger every year the um, the sector of well-paid and well protected um, trash workers does not go up much um, so a lot of contract labor is Still being employed in um, in Dakar in the formal trash sector, where the state sort of brings in day laborers to do a cleaning job here and there, and the the permanent workers that are unionized are, are not happy about that. Um, so this is this continues. There's certainly um, ongoing dynamics, and one of the major ones is my you know the subject of my second project, which is that there is a massive um, World Bank loan. Um, that the state has engaged into it also involves um, funding from um, the um, Spanish aid agency and a couple of other aid agencies that has um, that is aimed at reconfiguring the disposal system um, so not just collection but the um, the waste dump and um, landfills in in the country. And a major piece of that, which is the one that I'm looking at, because that is a a project that spans the country, but I'm just looking at um, the the sub project aimed at um, upgrading Dakar's dump. Um, And it's a really interesting proposition, this project, because so for years, the state has tried to close Dakar's dump, which is one of the biggest open air dumps in Africa. It's been there since 1968. And is really a blight on the sort of image of the city in the in the in the eyes of the state. Um, and they've tried to close it before, and 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 much to their dismay, have not been able to because of protests. Protests both um, at the proposed site for the new sanitary landfill, which was um, sabotaged by a local sort of NIMBY movement, not in my backyard movement but also by the trash pickers themselves who are organized into uh, an association and have protested the closure of the dump. So what they've decided to do now with the funding of this World Bank loan is to upgrade it, valorize it, leave it there, but change the way it functions, which is a really interesting proposition because this is, you know, very old, very large, stinky um, dump that works in a certain way, according to how the pickers over the last 50 years have um, developed these recycling niches. There are settlements on the dump. I mean, it is a a huge intricate um, set of economies, some of which stretch all the way to Asia and the Arab world in terms of recycling networks um, that the state is now starting to get involved with and starting to say it's it's going to valorize. So this is a, Big hot button issue. Um, there are a lot of major negotiations that are happening now. I am following it very closely. I've been doing ethnography over the last three years there um, and will be writing up a, a sort of before set of publications that examine the kind of before the upgrade and then watching the upgrade as it happens. Um, but I'm not convinced that the state's claim to. Valorization and sort of um, retaining, you know, the, the the picker's rights to the dump um, will be upheld. Um, so I think there's a lot at stake there, and that has been definitely on the front lines of um, national policy and urban policy in Senegal. So I think garbage politics remain really important there.
1: Yeah, one of the I hope um, I've answered part of your question.
0: You have. Thank you
1: the um the ongoing sort of nature of both your work and also the the politics as they as they unfold um it seems like one of the real things that we appreciated in the book is that you've been doing work in senegal for more than a decade now and have multiple projects we'll look forward to those those um the write-up of the new project, for sure, and you have a position both of, as an observer, but also as an ally. So, as a um, sort of a, a, a political, a political ally, and the work of social justice for a lot of um, for lot of the people. And so, this this is an issue that we've talked about quite a bit um, over the course of the semester. And I think Jesse. Um, really sort of crystallized it nicely for us. So I'm going to hand it over to him.
0: Um, So in the conclusion of your book, uh, you allude to a conversation that you had with Issa and Doye um, that uh, you said stuck with you throughout the writing um, of this project. And so he reminded you to um, remain diligent when making conclusions and kind of stray away um, from being prescriptive and instead uh, stay more, integrated with the community within conversations and interactive to, to see what uh, they think is the best practices. Uh, so I was wondering um, what challenges you found kind of in your role as a researcher and ethnographer and also as a political ally um, to kind of uh, following this advice um, and what difficult, difficulties you face um, and kind of keeping that in mind and balancing you know, uh, what your opinion might be versus um, what people on the ground think is the best option?
2: Great question. Um, yeah, I mean, the the sort of ethics of this research, are, you know, are always uh, at the forefront of my mind and certainly shape the ethnographic experience um, very deeply um, for the in a certain respect the the project on the municipal trash workers was um my positionality was um you know not that contentious um I, I they were very excited to share their sort of battle with me, brought me into the inner workings of the union, shared with me um the daily practice of their work, and really were just hoping for more visibility um they wanted visibility within the academic realm that was certainly where um I was focusing my efforts was through these academic publications um I also teach a class in Dakar um every couple of years with my students from n y u and invite the um the leaders of the of the trash union to give um uh, a sort of lecture about their experience and interact and 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 discuss um uh, with my students what their experience was like and they're always very excited about that and Amazing to talk to. Um, so those have sort of been the the ways that I have engaged um, with uh, framing this work, and of course discussing my findings um, with the my primary interlocutors in in Senegal um, over and over um, as they evolved um, through that project. But none of that was terribly um, sensitive in the sense that. Um, they were at the forefront of sculpting their message because they had a certain level of visibility. They were very savvy over the airwaves, you know, on TV, et cetera. So um, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't um, play a role in, in that. I, I think it's a bit different for my work at the dump because the pickers at the dump are so incredibly stigmatized. I mean, they really are very negatively viewed. Many of them hide the fact that they work at the dump from their families, from their partners, from their kids. Um, And so my work with them is is much more sensitive in the sense that, um, you know, I have to work uh, much more um, um, carefully to hide their identities and um, very difficult to take images um, out there. Um, but I have gotten, I also think that they are in a position where they are particularly precarious and it's become clear to me that I occupy a position of privilege in the sense that I have access to some of the big players that are shaping their future ac- access that many of them don't have. So the Pickers Union, um, or the Pickers Association, sorry, um, leaders are very much in, in contact with the world bank and with the state over this upgrade project, but not the sort of everyday ordinary pickers who don't even know a lot of the stuff is happening. Um, and yet I do have contact with the world bank, um, project managers with, um, the, you know, the state managers, the engineers, the city planners who are involved in this. Um, so I've actually started to play a very careful, um, advocacy role um, through involvement with an NGO that works out at the dump um, to uh, promote and protect um, Picker's labor rights. Um, And it's a Senegalese NGO that has an international sort of connection to it, um, but that is run by a Senegalese um, jurist, a lawyer um, who has expertise at the dump um, and in these legal issues around labor rights. Um, and the rights of informal workers in particular. Um, so I have sort of cautiously and carefully started a line of communication with this NGO. Um, and uh, my master's student um, who's working with me at the dump um, is, you know, is an intern with them and did a, a few month internship with them. Um, so we've got a kind of open line of of communication. It's unclear exactly where that's going to go, but I certainly hope that the research that we're doing at the dump does have a positive impact on the rights of the workers, because that is where my priorities are. Um, and so, in 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 any way that we can, but treading very carefully, knowing that all of the information that we gather at the dump is potentially volatile and could potentially um, come down on, you know, certain individuals in a, in, in, in a negative way, um, we are aiming, strategizing to um, positively impact the upgrade process and inform the process um, through the ethnographic work to make sure that a good understanding of the value of these economies, the values of these labors, the individual sort of vulnerabilities, especially of particular populations present on the dump and gender is really important there. That those are taken into account. Um, and I've just heard that some of this pressure has led to the World Bank asking for a livelihood survey and plan, which is World Bank talk for um, deeper re- research on their side into the potential impacts of the upgrade, uh, which I think means that the advocacy work of um, the NGO uh, you know, is is working, you know, um, to at least put some pressure on the bank to be more careful and more sensitive to the impacts that it could have and to design the upgrade project in a way that um, privileges the laborers, the laborers that are uh, already working and have been working for 50 years on the dump. So let's hope that that, that is the case. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and on the on the key term of, of hope, it's um, we really appreciate being able to sort of see the spots to amplify and to work towards and and uh, find hope um, in in these sorts of in this kind of research context. Um, you've been so generous with your time with us. Um, one of the there's so many things we didn't get to to talk about, um, but one of the things that you really helped us see. In particular, in is that it's not a question of bodies and infrastructure, and thinking about things like the global global south, um, questions of political history but instead of bodies and infrastructure, but starting just to see bodies as infrastructure and issues of labor and affect, um, all these things we'd love to talk with you more about, but uh, we want to let you go um, and just hope that listeners will will pick up the book and also see all the amazing images that you collected as well. It's really just a tremendous, yeah, labor, labor on your part of, of gathering all the images that are really remarkable for the book. So thank you so much for your time and also for this incredible book.
2: Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. It was great to talk to you.